You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Whoa, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to The Edge, the weekly podcast of the Bass Edge television show, which airs weekly on the Versus Network, 7.30 a.m. Central Standard Time on Wednesday, and then again at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings. I'm your host, Aaron Martin. We have a great show lined up as Roger Brown, known as the Bass Coach, he is going to be joining us to talk about his insights on fishing grass. It's a great, great interview. I had the opportunity to spend some time with Roger up on the infamous Lake Champlain. It was a great time. Uh, We learned a lot, so I'm sure you're just as excited as I am to hear that interview. Also up will be David Shumway, the president of MegaWare Keelguard. He has some really, really exciting things going on within his company um, concerning the Keelguard, the Skeg Pro, the Scuff Buster, some great things there, and I know you will not be let down uh, whenever you get to hear that. But first, uh, before we get into the interviews, I want to go just over just a few things. It's hard to believe, but we are actually getting geared up for the taping of Season 2. And we've had a lot of email requests, some very good ones, mind you, on, uh, for instance, like um, somebody had, had in it, sent in an email as far as programming your electronics. And so through some of the deep fishing episodes that we had done, as well as some of the articles, we really tried to get into and address that, as well as some individuals talking about, you know, for those of us who maybe don't have a boat and are um, held captive to to the banks or, or fishing from the shore, uh, you know, what can you do from us? So we, we tried um, getting some articles and doing a, an episode on fishing smaller waters. But if you have these type of questions, uh, things that you would like addressed, whether it be through the television show or through an article, um, please do not hesitate to send those in. We would love to hear those and welcome those. And you can do that with a simple email of just sending that in to podcast at BassEdge.com. Again, that's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Can't believe I spelled that right, but podcast at BassEdge.com. And if you can send those in, uh, we will be more than happy to do our best to get those implemented through an article or into the television program. Also, uh, you've heard us talk a lot about the upcoming DVDs. Those are finally ready to go. Uh, We also have Jay McNamara's book. Uh, He is featured on In the Zone. He's the performance uh, sports psychologist, and his book is titled Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. That is fresh off the press, so make sure that, um, take some time, get on the website, check that out at BassEdge.com. And then finally, we have our apparel. Everybody's been talking about how do we get our hands on some of the Bass Edge apparel. That is also up now and ready to go. So a lot of great things that's going on inside of the Bass Edge community. Uh, If you haven't had a chance lately to check out Uh, the website. Be sure to go to BassEdge.com and inquire more about some of those things. So right up after this short break, we are going to be joined by Roger Brown, the Bass Coach, for his interview on fishing grass. We'll be right back. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. 
Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. All right, welcome back. A couple months ago, you probably remembered we taped a show on Lake Champlain in New York with Roger Brown. Great, great time. Learned a lot. Got to uh, put to test our, our use of the Carolina rig and interpreting grass. And I had the opportunity after fishing with him on that trip to sit down and do an interview uh, with Roger on his approach to grass fishing. Great interview. And so let's get right into the interview with Roger Brown. Roger, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, Roger, I, when I first met you, I can always remember, um, you know, you bringing up the fact of, of grass fishing. And grass is one of those uh, structures that, although it's it's prevalent in a lot of areas, there's also a lot of areas of the country that it's not. And what I would like to try and do is, is to tap into your knowledge base and pull from your expertise on, you know, not only how does a beginning angler approach grass, but then also what are some of the tips and techniques for those of us uh, whom do, you know, fish grass in, in a way to, uh, to maximize our time on the water and, and hopefully, you know, put more fish in the boat. Why don't we start, let's break it down by, you know, the different types of grass. I mean, how, where, where does one start at, um, you know, when when looking at grass. Well, what I usually do, depending on the lake or the river, you know, the body water in general, is I'll, I'll get a map and I'll study it, and I will see basically what kind of grass areas or areas that would produce, you know, um, any types of, like, aquatic vegetation. And I, I try to find as many varieties grouped in the same area as possible because there's so many there you, you've got like eel grass you've got hydrilla you got milfoil you got duckweed um, you got water hyacinth you got bulrushes or otherwise known as cattails uh, there's just an ample amount of different vegetation and a lot of it produces bass and a lot of it don't um, because of the oxygen content, you know, in the water that the, uh, the green vegetation does produce. And the three elements, of course, you have to have to catch bass or locate them is food, oxygen, and cover. And the cover is provided as well as the oxygen for the bass. Are there times when, you know, grass, um, because I know from past experience, you know, when you look at grass, some is alive and healthy, you get later in the year, you know, it can start uh, actually dying out or uh, I don't know if that's called regermination or what the proper term is, but are there are there instances to where that it, you can actually be hurting yourself by fishing, you know, fishing grass? Absolutely, because when, when the grass starts laying down or starting to more or less um, what people would say like dying off for the wintertime, when it, when it gives up the greenish color and the healthy, you know, look to it, it, it actually starts um, absorbing or eating its own oxygen content, and it don't produce anymore. And not only that, when it lays down, it, it basically takes away an ample amount of cover that these bass are used to being around. So what they're going to do is they're going to basically, uh, bass are territorial anyway, but they're going to try to find areas that provide the most cover or structure, um, even if they have to drop back down a little bit or if they have to go up shallow again, 
as long as they find them protected areas because they're pretty much a um, uh, they're not an open water fish you know swimming fish so to speak sure. they they have to have the cover um, they're ambush fish well it's and it from from your description there which is a very good one it it is you know when that grass starts you know going into hibernation or dying down if you will and laying over you're you're it sounds like you're losing two things one is you're losing the cover but then also if it starts feeding on itself from the oxygen it's actually deplenishing uh the oxygen content that's that's in that general area right so um it's going to have an, ultimately have a, a significant impact on on that bass's behavior may not even be in the area. You know, and, and there's a lot of areas, even up here in the northern section of the United States, that the grass really never dies down, um, depending, of course, on, on water depth, on uh, protection of areas, and sometimes current has a lot to do with it. But anytime you get, you know, toward the late fall and it starts dying down in areas, just simply look for other areas that might be producing um, any time uh, any type of green um, oxygen producing stuff so if for anglers who let's say have never fished grass before or have very limited exposure and they're approaching um, you know a body of water and you know they're they're looking for the uh, variations of the grass like you spoke of as, as many as what they can possibly find is there other structure you know, Grass, is it more of a, of a psychological element of how to approach it, or you know, do you apply the same things like you would if the grass wasn't there? One of the biggest problems I've noticed with um, some of my bass fishing school students over the years is they're afraid to fish grass. Um, you'll find your average angler, 80% of them, always fish the grass weed lines themselves, and they really don't get up into the grass itself because they're they're tired of just every time they bring their lure in, pulling the grass off, pulling the grass off, and it gets to be a pain for a lot of them. However, if they learn how to actually get into the grass itself and find these certain areas, there's certain techniques that you can use that's actually fun fishing the thick stuff. Sure. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. We're in, instead of fishing, let's say the outside edge of the grass, which is where the edge you know goes out into the deeper water where the grass stops. You know we've moved up and now we're looking for things. Let's say in this this grass bed. You know, talk a little bit about the approach, the techniques of what to look for, what baits. Um, you know, help us out there. The types of vegetation that you're fishing, it, it would pretty much it would dictate to you of what types of, of lures or baits that you would use that would make sense, that would work thoroughly and and easily through this kind of stuff. For example, uh, floating water hyacinth, for example. Now that's not really attached to the bottom. However, it does produce cover. Um, there's shade pockets under it. And a lot of times bass will basically submerge under it. So you can pretty much throw any slow-moving type of bait or, or run a, any type of bait by that. And if a bass is holding up under it, of course, he'll dart after it and, and he'll go after the bait. And then on the other side of the coin, say if you have real thick vegetation, um, I like to move up into the vegetation itself because there's an ample amount of cover and it's just like 
as we know, the highways and byways and freeways and, and how to get around, bass know the same things in their territories. And to them, it's just, when, when, when you look down in clear water and grass, you're going to see kind of like little runways sometimes here and there. And to fish the thicker types of grass, I try to find the best lures I can get, kind of like floating worms. If, if I'm fishing um, fairly shallow water, and when I say shallow, anywhere from like maybe one foot to, say, five or six feet, depending on the clarity. Um, I like to throw, first of all, something on top of the water to see what kind of action I get. If they're kind of shut down a little bit and I know the bass are in areas, then I will simply start fishing the bottom with, you can, you can um, use a, kind of like a weedless jig or you can, you can uh, Texas rig, something with a heavy enough sinker that will allow it to drop the bait down through that stuff to get onto the bottom because a lot of these plants when when you look at them they have stalks on the bottom and, and they blossom out um, the further up they go so when you're actually down on the bottom it's a lot more clear and it's a lot more spacey than just looking down and saying wow you know it, it, this thing is so thick um, I don't know how I'm going to fish this sure so do you find that, um, you know, the bass that are, are relating to that type of cover, I mean, does it just vary when it, whenever you start with, let's say, the top water and don't get a response, and then, and then, you know, maybe you go to, you know, the jig or the flipping presentation. Do those bass move up and down in the water column um, along those that grass line, or are they either focused, you know, towards the bottom or are they, you know, right on top? Is there ever any times, you know, to where they're holding out per se, let's, in the middle? Well, I, I found out over through the years that a lot of bass in certain areas will feed up at certain times. Um, it's a kind of phenomenon. You really can't explain why. But you might have, say, one point, and at 1 o'clock all of a sudden they'll start turning on, and I'm sure you've been out where they turn off like a switch. They just stop eating. But then you can go right across on the other side of the lake, and here's another area, and all of a sudden, boom, they're going to start turning on, and, and vice versa. Now, one thing that I do look for is when I'm fishing vegetation areas especially, um, if I don't get any action on top or if I don't get any action on the bottom, that does not mean that the bass are not there. Um, bass are territorial again, but sometimes, um, depending on the weather conditions, if, if it's cloudy, overcast, you have the low front type of um, fronts that come through, now this will block the sun out and, and the bass will be more free to roam around, um, especially in clear water because they don't have eyelids like uh, we do and they don't have protection over their eyes. So Mother Nature's way of protecting their eyes, basically, is, is that's why they have to have cover. Now, on the other hand, if it's a bluebird sky situation, and I'm in fishing grass again, I'm going to try to find the thick grass pockets that are going to produce the more shade pockets or the more cover for the bass. And I'll try probably a great many different styles, presentations, or different baits, 
and try to find out which you know which one I can come up with and, and call it a pattern. Well, I, you know, one of the things that, that you mentioned there and that I often look at is it, it took me a very long time to get into my head that, you know, it's kind of like fishing a lake with boat docks. You look at all those boat docks because that's what you see and that's what the eye sees, but really you're not necessarily, you're not fishing on top of the water. However, you know, that topography that is under those boat docks, there are going to be certain docks that hold, you know, more bass because of what's underneath and then you throw the fact that there's shade and potentially some some of the dock owners have thrown brush and those type of things. That's just an added benefit. Likewise, with the grass, what I've tried to do is to approach, if it's a, a grass bed, let's say, to read it just like you would its own little lake or little city of bass. And on that grass bed, you have points and you have pockets like you're referring to in these travel ways. Um, you know, so just trying to hit the hot spots first to try and those, try and find those active bass. So, wh whenever you go from the top water, what what are your say three uh, go to baits or rigs, uh, if you will, of of picking apart what where those bass are holding at on that grass and what they're going to respond to? Um, okay, number one, most of your anglers don't realize, and and a lot of people don't realize that there is a bigger population of the crawfish in grass than there are actually around rocks. And crawfish is always, without question, number one food source of a bass. It's a delicatessen for bass. Oh, boy. <laughs> and they will go after crawfish before they will any natural um, forage type, you know, like shad or wipe or... Or, or, you know, different swim baits, so to speak, or, or um, the crawfish to them, um, that's why they make so many formulas in crawfish, and that's that's why the jig produces so many. That's why they got crawls, you know, uh, for baits. I mean, they're so numerous because it's one of the, I would say, number one primary food source of the bass. Now, if I'm fishing these areas, Bingo, I know there's crawfish in the area at certain times of the year. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with a crawfish pattern. Um, I might go with like a, a critter crawl or, or the Yamamoto's crawl or, or just any plastic crawl and, and just go Texas rig where I can slip it down into the grass and, and just barely move it a little bit. Give it a little bit of motion. Um, now, if that don't work, then I'm going to try probably a Carolina rig. Carolina rig is deadly in grass areas when, when a lot of anglers, um, a lot of former students, didn't even know you can throw a Carolina rig in grass. Um, it, it, it's one of the best techniques you can use. And then if that don't work, then I might go to a floating worm or something like a... Um, a super fluke or, or super shad or whatever you want to call it, and then just basically dart it and let it fall slow. Or, again, my my favorite go-to bait would be basically the Moac or the, the Senko because of the slow fall presentation it has. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, because I know that uh, you wrote an article um, on the Moac rig, and we actually used it uh, when you and I, um, had taped there on, on Lake Champlain. Um, 
let's let's talk a little bit about what that rig is and and how to how to actively you know effectively I should say rig that. Okay, um, it, it's kind of a unique rig. It's something I came up with, and I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before, but it proved itself because we had a very very slow condition day, and I had a couple students. Um, and we were just basically hit and miss fish. We were getting short strikes, and, and they, they were not active whatsoever. So when, when it gets like this, I try to go for the slowest presentation um, I can. And it used to be basically either a wacky rig, um, Senko, because you just basically dangle it on a hook, let it fall um, without any weight, and it does its own thing, and, and, and it used to work real well, or Texas rig with that weight. And then a mojo rig where I could, you know, say if the wind picked up, it got a little breezy or something like that, but I get the same effects as it. But now, one, once I got into the um, windier situations, and I know there's bass there, I just basically join these two rigs together, so I'm using I'm using the Senko Wacky Rig because they do like that look or the presentation or the flexibility um, when it's in the water, but yet still I can I can move my weight and peg it and slide it up, say if I want a one or two foot leader, to where it's going to fall to the bottom, but yet when it hits the bottom I still have that slow fall um, Senko coming down and it really entices the fish. Right. And I think it's important for our listeners to understand this because, you know, I, I got to see firsthand the effectiveness of, of putting fish in the boat uh, when we did this through the grass. And, you know, one of the things that, that we did, we, we used just a, a red wide gap uh, hook on the end of it, placed the, um, the bait on it wacky style, and then our, our leaders were approximately, or the distance between the hook and the pegged sinker was what, two foot, Roger? Yeah, and leave. yeah, and we just used a uh, just a, used a rubber stopper, or you can use a toothpick uh, to peg that sinker, and that allowed the weight to stay on bottom again, like you said, uh, be able to navigate with the wind, but still create that slow or slow fall or slow descent, you know, of that uh, uh, sinko, you know, coming down th- through that grass, and I mean, it just it was really really effective, and uh, you know, what, one of the things that I was actually surprised at when we used that through that, that thick grass that we were fishing is that we really didn't have that much come grass get tangled up on our hook or, or come into the boat, you know, on our retrieves that we didn't catch fish. So, and I know you brought up a good point uh, in your article that if you do start running into problems, you know, just, just simply use a hook that has a, a wire uh, uh, weed guard on it or a clip. Okay, now that, that we've got the three type of rigs, um, whether it be, the, you know, the jig, uh, the Moac or the, which is really, you know, I'm, I'm placing the Carolina rig, uh, the Mojo rig, and I'm kind of the Moac. Those are all deviations of, you know, the, the Carolina rig. Or let's say then we're using the topwater or the floating worm. What about as far as colors? You know, how important are colors selection for the bait that, that you're using? Well, I found out um, through the years um, actually over 30 years of fishing, that there are certain colors that are universal. Um, and I can take 
these same colors pretty much and go just about anywhere in the United States or even out of the United States, and I can catch bass on these. However, there are certain lakes that the bass will prefer one color over another one. So if you have, say, a handful of different colors, um, I would try them all before I would actually give up that bait and try a different technique. Because if, if you use, say, like um, a, a blue red flake worm one day or a Seiko and, and bass are hitting it, they're not really taking it. And then all of a sudden you switch over and you put a laminate, say, like green and white on it, and they're nailing it. Um, don't give up the bait. It just sometimes they will prefer another color over another one. But there are certain colors that I stick with. Um, rule of thumb, your green pumpkin peppers, your watermelon colors, um, of course your black and purple has it's always been good. Um, your red shad, which is a black red laminate type of color, and, and scopernol, um, kind of like a root beer color, motor oil. Um, you can you can get by. I, I say probably maybe with ten to twelve different colors on any plastic bait should produce a strike if they're going to hit that type of presentation or that type of technique that you're using so um for for those who who are just starting out and wanting to maximize uh you know their time that they have whether it be coming up to lake champlain to fish or, or whatever body of water that they're going to you know sounds to me um like your opinion is the same of mine stick with with your greens your natural greens your natural browns uh and then the blacks um and, and that's going to provide you with a, just a tremendous diversity uh, and if you don't get bit, chances are you're probably going to have to change presentation. Right, right. And and the thing is, is again, a lot of it's confidence. Um, for example, one of my favorite colors that I use um, on a Carolina rig, just off the bat, is I love cotton candy. Cotton candy, and I'll dip the tail a little bit in chartreuse. Now, it, it works like dynamite up here. It, it, it is so good. But then I can go down to Bugs Island, and it works great there. I can go to Florida. It works great there. Sam Rayburn, same thing. Out in California, they nailed it. Um, Oklahoma, up in Minnesota. So there's certain, certain colors that will work um, no matter where you go. And if the cotton candy slows down, or, or it's not working as I would hope it were, I would just simply go to a green pumpkin pepper, another universal color, and usually if, if one don't work, the other one will. Quickly, let's, let's spend just a, a brief amount of time as far as on the line. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, types of line that's out there from monofilament to fluorocarbon to braid. Um, and with a lot of different opinions, you know, what is your opinion or approach to selecting a line for fishing grass? Okay, um, <laughs> coming from the old school, so to speak, um, I've tried every braided line. I've tried a fluorocarbon. I've tried solids. I've tried um, uh, monofilaments, and, and I found myself 
that I, I like the stretchability in a line. A lot of people will disagree. It's a personal I guess. But the way I look at it is um, I use a monofilament, and I use basically clear transparent. And the reason for that is, is, is for example, if, if you have a fish aquarium that has a lot of decorative rock and shrubs and everything else, and you take a clear soda fountain glass and you drop it right down in the middle of it, you almost have to strain to see that glass because it absorbs the surrounding colors. Now, this is something that I've always used because no matter what color, clarity, um, structure, or, or wherever you're fishing, to me, clear transparent will blend into the surrounding colors. And it's just been my rule of thumb that it's always worked for me. It's not necessarily the only choice. If you have success and, and like the characteristics of, let's say, a braid because of its no stretch or whatever. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, that brings us into, I don't want to digress here, but, uh, you know, again, it just comes back to, we've talked about several things from the baits to how to approach grass to the line. And, and there's a common denominator amongst all those three things that, that we've been talking about, and that's confidence. You know, and, and if you don't have confidence in what you're doing, well, it, it could be the best bait or best presentation or best uh, ter piece of terminal tackle there is for somebody else. But if you don't have confidence in it, you might as well, you know, you might as well just quit right there. One of the biggest problems the anglers have is basically confidence in what they're doing. I, I can't tell you how many over the years I, that's been on my boat that literally falls apart just because their favorite bait isn't working. They stick with it too long. They have confidence it's going to work. However, um, you need to learn a variety of different types of baits and presentations and techniques for just about any scenario you come across. And a lot of these guys are not doing this. But if they did, and they started experimenting more and using, using different baits that make sense for the areas that they're fishing, um, as soon as you catch two or three nice, really nice fish out of areas, you have the confidence needed knowing that it does work. Sure. And, you know, a lot of that comes from just having exposure by being around uh, other anglers because I can remember, you know, first getting into the sport, even though the sport is basic, um, you know, presenting a bait and a, and a bass responding to it, uh, it, it can also be a little bit intimidating. And by having the right peers and, and affiliates to be able to, to help work through some of that, and that's really one of the reasons I think why, why your, um, you know, your fishing school has taken off so well is because of trying to help, you know, expedite that learning curve uh, so that newer anglers or even experienced anglers can come in and, and uh, you know, really improve a specific technique or, you know, uh, get into the sport of fishing. Speaking of which, you know, Roger, how do people get in touch with you if, if they're wanting to uh, to inquire about, about the fishing school? Um, well, one, they can go right to uh, BassEdge.com, mm -hmm. and through the article, you've got the information for me. Or all they have to do is just get online and type in either the Bass Coach or uh, Roger Lee Brown, or simply Bass um, Fishing Instruction, and they can find me. Okay. Well, Roger, I would love to sit here and uh, chat with you. You've been a great help as far as... Uh, 
clearing up some things with regards to fishing and grass, but unfortunately we're out of time. I just want to say thanks so much uh, for being a part of The Edge, and, and uh, we'll look forward to talking with you again. Aaron, it was my pleasure. All right, thanks, Roger, for a great interview on fishing grass. Let's take one more short break. We are going to be right back for the product giveaway. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then also David Shumway, the president of MegaWare Keelguard, to talk about the exciting things going on there. We'll be right back. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Okay, welcome back to The Edge. We are at the portion of our show where we do the product giveaway. For those of you who may just be tuning in, every single week, Bass Edge gives away some fantastic products from our sponsors. This week, we have a great lineup of products from Mother's Wax, who makes just a phenomenal uh, car care product, but also they're debuting their marine line. So um, some neat things going on there. Now, how you enter is all you have to do is send in an email. That email goes to podcast at bassedge.com. Again, podcast at bassedge.com in the subject line. Very important. Make sure you put product giveaway. And then the other important thing is that make sure in the body of the email that you put your name and then also your address. That way, whenever you win, we have a way to get this to you because you do not want to miss out on the opportunity to receive this, this product. So some neat things uh, that's going on here. You can enter as many times as you like, although we do only ask that you enter one time per week. So if you win this week, throw your name back in the hat so that you don't miss out on future product giveaways. But this week's giveaway goes all the way out to Parsons, Kansas, to Brian Holderman. So congratulations, Brian. You are this week's winner, and you have a just a fantastic uh, lineup of products on its way to you. So you can look for that at your doorstep here in the next uh, week or so. So right after this short break, we are going to be back with the president of MegaWare Keelguard, David Shumway. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keelguard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keelguard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140. And best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. Thanks, MegaWare Keelguard. Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. All right, we're back on The Edge. Recently had the opportunity to have a conversation with David Shumway of MegaWare Keelguard. And you... Probably most of you are already familiar with, but MegaWare Keelguard has some outstanding products. They make, obviously, the Keelguard, which protects the keel of the boat. They have the Skeg Pro, the Scuff Buster, but just a lot of great progressive ideas with regards to protecting your boat. So let's go right to that interview and that conversation with David Shumway. David, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, um, one of the unique things of I can always remember when I when I first met you out at... Uh, 
Las Vegas, and, and you and I briefly got to spend a little bit of time out at the ICAST conference. You know, in our discussions, you had brought up from the standpoint that um, you you really wanted to get involved in a in a larger presence, I should say, within the angling community. And uh, you've made some pretty good strides uh, here in in uh, 2006, and then uh, now in 2007 uh, in cracking into that market. That's correct. In fact, what we've noticed all along is that the uh, bass fishing market has probably been our greatest market. Uh, even though we haven't put as much emphasis there as we have recently, uh, we've always recognized that to be probably our strongest market just because of the uh, advantages it provides the bass fishermen. Well, and I, and I can say, speaking from not only our needs uh, through taping the show, but also you know, from competing in tournaments um, and also on a recreational level, you know, when, whenever we go to, let's say, a lake that is a core lake, a, meaning a core of engineers lake, you know, there's, some of these boat ramps do not have a lot of courtesy dock parking. And when you have a, you know, 100 to 200 boats that's trying all coming in at the same time, you know, there's, there's not a lot of places to be able to park. And, um, you know, a lot of times that the, the bank is made up of either rocks and gravel or sand or concrete or whatever. And, and that's really the beauty, I think, of, of where um, that is a natural fit within that market. Exactly. And that's why, uh, why this has been so popular over the years is it doesn't really matter if it's sand, rock, oyster bays, concrete ramps, whatever it is, you can uh, boat and uh, beat your boat with, uh, with ease and not having to worry about damaging the, the uh, gel coat or fiberglass. Well, David, explain to me, how does the, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the mechanics of, of a keel guard. Uh, for those who aren't aware of exactly what that is, enlighten us a little bit as far as what, what's going on with that. Well, the keel guard is uh, made up of a uh, composite material that uses the tough, most uh, durable, resilient type materials out there using urethanes, uh, vinyls, polymers, uh, but yet it still has to be flexible enough to be easy to install and absorb the uh, compact and impact of, uh, of solids and hard objects. And so we've uh, designed this over the years and I think we've got, a, got it pretty well perfected now utilizing a 3M pressure-sensitive adhesive to make this the best and the easiest do-it-yourself product of this type on the market. Well, and, and you were really the, the originator of the, the do-it-yourself uh, keel guard installation of, of protecting that keel. Is, is, isn't that correct? That's right. Uh, we started in 1992, so we've been at it for about 15 years now. And things evolved initially. Um, over the years, it's just gotten better and better. And uh, we think now that uh, we offer it in 14 different colors, in various lengths to fit any size boat from, uh, you know, a small tender to a 30-foot uh, pleasure boat. Explain how the, the keel guard actually sticks on or the process. Sure. The, uh, the keel guard goes on, as I say, it can be done by the individual purchaser or user, or it can be dealer installed. Uh, but the, the nice thing about it is, is it is do-it-yourself. And so it comes with all the components that you need to install it yourself except for a cleaning agent. And a cleaning agent would be something along the line of alcohol or acetone, which we can't ship for obvious reasons. But there's four steps to installing it. You first uh, etch the surface with a Scotch-Brite pad that comes in the kit. That's to remove any waxes or contaminants that might be on the uh, surface. Then you clean it with the uh, acetone or alcohol. Then you apply a 3M primer. This is a product that comes in the kit. It's in a little special applicator. Um, it's clear. It goes on and dries almost instantly and then you peel back the plastic liner that exposes the 
the adhesive and press it on with a special burnishing tool. Again, this all comes in the kit, and it can usually be installed within 45 minutes to an hour. Well, and I was going to say, you know, of course, I've had a keel guard on every single boat that I've ever had, and so now I'm becoming fairly I would like to consider proficient at putting these on. But even early on when I, the first few applications that I did of this, you know, it didn't take me any longer than, than an hour uh, to install. And, and that's the beauty of it, just that by a small investment, as well as just a little bit of time, you know, you can save, save yourself a lot of, a lot of money and damage uh, from, from bumping up against rocks and boat ramps and things like that. Absolutely. And the thing nice about being it as a do-it-yourself kit uh, you don't have to pay someone to install it if you don't want to. Sure. Uh, it's relatively inexpensive when you consider how much uh, gel coat repair costs these days in fiberglass shops. It can be quite costly. Well, and I know, uh, you know, I know being a, a bass fisherman, where often people uh, talk about the, the glorious position of, of a bass fisherman, but we're really, we're, we're kind of a combination of, of tr glorified truck drivers, half mechanics, you know, uh, travel agents, all those type of things. And that is part of the fun of, uh, of being involved with the sport of fishing is that, you know, we like to do things with our hands. And, and uh, really, this is a process that, that uh, goes right along with that, of being able to get your hands on it and, uh, and actually have some, some fun doing that as well. So. That's right. In fact, it's funny. We got a, a letter from a gentleman in Laughlin, uh, Nevada, that talked about how easy it was. We had it shipped to him, and he did it in the parking lot of the casino there where he was staying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that just uh, that just goes to show you how how easy that those things can be put on. Well, let me ask you this because ever I'm, I'm I can almost tell you exactly what is going through all of uh, all of our listeners' minds right now. What effect, if any, does it have on boat performance? Design of the kill guard was um, pretty much invented by an individual who raced boats, and uh, part of the patent is a drag reduction patent, so it will not diminish the performance of a boat. In fact, we've uh, had feedback from some personal watercraft users that they've actually seen a, a slight increase on the high end or, or top end speed. But a boat just has too much weight or mass to be affected one way or the other. We're not going to uh, slow it down, uh, probably not speed it up, but it definitely will not diminish any performance. Is, is fiberglass boats the, the only boats that it can be used on? Actually, the, the kill guard can go on almost any uh, surface that 3M pressure-sensitive adhesive can stick to. Um, we go on aluminum boats. Uh, in fact, aluminum is one of the very best uh, surfaces to bond to. But we have to make sure that the uh, contour of the hull is such that uh, it allows us to have full contact with that adhesive. Some aluminum boats do have a rib that protrudes off the hull, say an inch or two. And by the time we wrap around that, there's not enough flat surface area to, uh, to bond to in some cases, and we can trap air in the corners. So aluminum is not the concern, the design of the hull is. I see. So in other words, if you have some of those, those chines or, or things like that that's in there, you want to be sure and, and look uh, to make sure that it conforms uh, to those. Right. And welded holes, even the uh, plated, uh, riveted on type uh, holes, those pose no problem. It's just the uh, raised rib that we need to be careful about. Okay. And then what about as far as, obviously, you know, this thing is, is tough beyond measure, but I know you have a, a really good guarantee that goes along with, with the keel card. That's right. We're so confident in this product that we offer a lifetime unlimited warranty. That means for any reason, if the keel guard should wear out, be damaged, or uh, come off for any reason, the customer gets a new one free. Sure. 
Well, I know um, that I, I doubt very seriously that people will have to worry about that, but it, that is great to be able to fall back on. You know, that just speaks volumes about the confidence that uh, that you have in the in the product. Um, you know, shifting gears a little bit, well, here uh, uh, several months ago, back in uh, 2006, you actually acquired uh, Hamby's. That's correct. Hamby's uh, is a product that's been out there um, similar to the Kill Guard uh, since about 1988, and it started in the bass market. Um, it goes on with a two-part epoxy. It takes about uh, 12 to 24 hours to install, and it must be installed by a dealer. It's a very sophisticated uh, process and very um, thick. And unfortunately, along with that, uh, it's uh, quite a bit more costly than, than the Kill Guard, but it offers uh, extreme uh, protection in the most uh, extreme cases. Yeah. Well, and, and now that provides uh, the end user from whether it be bass fishermen or, you know, pleasure boaters, um, the, the choice of, you know, doing it yourself, uh, saving some money was still still being able to uh, have that protection or um, you know if you maybe if you're not into that type of thing of, of uh, getting your your hands wrapped around the, the product itself uh, whenever you buy that new boat or take it to your your service center you can have somebody else do it that's correct and and either one um, can be dealer installed well and you know as far as this the standpoint of availability, uh, obviously, um, you know the products available on BassEdge.com, but you have a lot, a lot of affiliations with some of the top names uh, in the industry um, through some of the marine dealerships, the, the sporting goods stores, things like that. That's you know, right. Over the years, we've established very good relationships with the major distributors, uh, including Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, Overton's, West Marine Stores, Boating World, Boat US. Uh, pretty much all of them have this available uh, for the customer. Yeah. And um, quickly, as, as we're almost out of time, but there's a couple other products that we're going to feature later, but I, definitely I'm, I'm so excited I, I can't keep myself. I want to jump ahead here and, and kind of give them a, a little bit of a teaser of what's to come. Two other things that I'm very, very happy to, to have on, on the Bass Edge boats is the Skeg Pro and then also the Scuff Buster. Can you, can you talk briefly about those? Sure. Being in the uh, protection business for boats, we wanted something that would add value to the uh, Keel Guard product line. And a few years ago, we introduced some stainless steel products called the Skeg Pro, which is short for Skeg Protector. That uh, adheres to the bottom of the Skeg to make sure that um, if it inadvertently hits a solid object or gets dragged on the ramp, that it won't bend or wear off. As you know, that uh, lower unit uh, aluminum is very soft, and, uh, and you oftentimes see damage problems yeah. the uh, lower <laughs> units. And, and the Skeg Pro protect that from happening. Yeah. Very costly to repair, and it's not, uh, it's pretty embarrassing too, I'll say that. So. Right. And, and our product uses a uh, mirror polished stainless steel, so it almost looks like a, a chrome accent. Either. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does. It really looks like an accessory that you would add to uh, your boat, like just like you would your truck putting on chrome door handles or things like that, and uh, it uh, really gives an offset. What about as far as the scuff buster? The scuff buster uh, is a bow protector where it protects the upper part of the boat from scratches and abrasions and uh, rubbing that can occur from the trailer roller or V. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you'll see that, uh, that uh, gel coat wear away just from the pressure of that roller on the trailer. And this is a, a pliable sta stainless steel product that, again, can be installed very simply and it's very cost effective. Uh, for about $20, you can in install that yourself and, again, uh, have worry-free boating. Yeah. And what what about the uh, where's the the price normally start as far as the uh, Skeg Pro and then also uh, starting point for the Keelguard? 
Well, the Skeg Pro is uh, $69.95, just a little under $70, and that uh, fits virtually any boat out there. There are 14 different sizes, of course, and so once you get the right um, size, uh, the price is the same regardless of the boat application. Uh, on the keel guard, it depends on the length of the boat. We have different lengths um, starting at 4 feet, going up to about 12 feet, and we can make them custom as well. But typically, let's say uh, a 6-foot keel guard that would work on a 17 or 18-foot boat, the retail price is uh, about $147. Wow. Well, that's not a lot of money at all for uh, the amount of protection that you're getting from, from those three products. Well, unfortunately, David, we are out of time. It's always, always a pleasure uh, to be able to talk with you, and, and thanks for the great information, as well as be sure uh, for more information on the, the keel guard. Certainly go to BassEdge.com. Uh, to where we have uh, not only information but as well as uh, a media file. And then, David, what about as far as being able to log on to, to your website to gain more in-depth technical information? We have a lot of information on our website under keelguard.com. So it's uh, K-E-E-L-G-U-A-R-D, and um, any questions can pretty much be answered there. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being a part of The Edge. Well, thank you, Aaron. It's been my pleasure. All right, thanks, David, for a great interview as far as some of the exciting things that's taking place uh, with MegaWare KeelGuard. Also, thanks, Roger, for just a lot of good information on fishing grass. It always amazes me how quickly this, this time goes by, but unfortunately, we are actually out of time. Exciting news is, though, next week, have a great lineup. James Negemeyer, a lot of you probably know him. He qualified. He's in his rookie season now of the BASS Elite, so he's going to be here to share his thoughts on uh, fishing when we fish down in Texas. Also, we have Scott Marsh from B&W Trailer Hitches to talk about just an unbelievable concept with regards to trailer hitches that every single one of us need to be able to pull our boat. Thanks for joining us, and make sure that if you have not had the opportunity, check us out on Versus Network Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. Central Time, Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. Central Time, and also the website, BassEdge.com. A lot of great things going on there. So again, we'll see you next time on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.